Hey, I'm Stephen Povatter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10:15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Acts begins with the disciples following what might have been one of Jesus' hardest commands to follow. Now, Jesus teaches some hard stuff. Jesus teaches lots of things that are hard to obey. But I know from my house, my experience, both as a parent, and if I remember well enough, my experience of being a son, my experience of just being a human, one of the hardest things that you can ever ask somebody to do is to wait. Wait. Waiting is one of the activities that we like least. Whether we're waiting on somebody to just get in the car already. Some of y'all said that this morning, right? Or whether we're waiting for that order that took a little bit longer at the restaurant than we thought or for the check to finally come. Jesus came into a waiting culture and just that group of people who finally believed that the waiting was all over, that they had found the Messiah, Jesus, when he leaves them, tells them to wait. Wait until this promised Holy Spirit will come upon you, right? Wait in Jerusalem. Wait until the next phase. Wait until this thing comes, right? And so Acts opens with Jesus giving these instructions, and then these disciples, who had thought all their waiting was over, are waiting together just a little bit longer. Now, waiting together is an experience, isn't it? Have you ever noticed how different the experience of waiting by yourself and waiting together with somebody else is? And I don't know how you imagine this, but Acts draws us a picture of what's happening in this story so that we understand from the very beginning that the together bit is really important. Our mission here at Central is following Jesus, what? Together. And I think that's a very Acts-ish sort of way to think about what it is that we are doing. The together part is really important. And Acts could be misinterpreted, could be misread as a hero story of Peter, a hero story of Paul as he takes stage later on. In fact, that part itself may raise our questions just a little bit. Why not just have the Acts of Peter and let that be one book and the Acts of Paul be a totally different book? Why? 
do we have this story that seems to change the camera angle from one to the other halfway through? Maybe it's because... Maybe it's because they weren't the heroes to start with. It's not really a story about Paul. And in this early part, it's not really a story about just Peter either. Today we're going to talk about the Pentecost story. And it is a story that has its climax with a, a speech and a response. Peter is he gives a speech there. But don't let the camera close so quickly onto Peter and focus on him that you miss all of the other people that are there together with him. This is not just a, the acts of Peter. It's not just the acts of Paul. This is the acts of the Holy Spirit of God working through the combined church of God. Notice in this first chapter who it is that is gathered together with them, right? When they come back to Jerusalem, look with me into verse 13 of chapter, Acts chapter 1. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Get a little bit of a longer list there, right? But notice, keep on reading with me. And this is verse 14. All of these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary the mother of Jesus, and also his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons. Well, let's go back. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas. What, what's your count at? That's 11 to my, well, I, I only had 10 fingers, sorry. 11. And then we had certain women, including Mary. We get a 12th name there. And his brothers, several of those. So I'm getting that we have, I don't know, maybe about 15 people listed. So we've got about 100, 105 other people that aren't named here, right? Now, first of all, that upper room is a little bit bigger than I imagined to start with. I wonder who all was in that room. I wonder who some of the other people were that were there. It's hard to say. I mean, there's no definitive way of thinking about this, but... We know some of the other people that had encountered Jesus who had were uh, people who had experienced what Peter will say in the next chapter, the signs and wonders that God did through him to attest to him that he was the Messiah. 
So maybe some of the other people we can maybe imagine fill that room. Over here, there's a man rubbing his eyes, still not believing that they work like they do. Over here, somebody else, when they sing the songs, can't help but rub his arm and think about what it used to be like when he couldn't work it at all. He's sitting right next to a man who loves it when they stand to pray because there were so many days that he could not stand on his own feet. There's a man named Jairus standing next to his 12-year-old daughter, and he can't believe that she's actually alive, that this Messiah had been able to give her her life back. There's a widow over here, and she, as they sing, puts her arm over her son's shoulders, remembering that just like Jesus, he had been dead once too. Maybe Mary and Martha and Lazarus over on the other side, thinking something similar. And I think about all the other people a woman who used to have this ongoing bleeding issue. A man who had been dropped through the roof of a ceiling just to keep a, get a peek of Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea who had personally taken Jesus to his own tomb. Or maybe Salome who had gone to that tomb to find Jesus and anoint his body only to find it empty there with Mary. This isn't just a story about Peter. Peter wasn't waiting by himself. He was waiting together with all of the people who had already come to believe in Jesus. The ones that we know the names of and the ones that we don't. The ones who had been following him, all the, who had followed with him all the way from Galilee. One of the surprises in, the early, in this early chapter of Acts is that in just a moment, they're going to say, we need to pick a replacement for Judas. And they say, what we probably should do is we should pick a couple of the people who have been with us all the way since we were followers of John the Baptist, all the way back to that very beginning, and we should pick one of them. And they have two of these guys, Matthias and then Joseph, uh, Joseph the son, uh, or Joseph who is called Barsabbas is the name of him. And I feel a little bit bad, right? Because like, I barely know this guy's name. And you don't either. And yet he was with Jesus from the very beginning from the very first days, there, listening at the Sermon on the Mount and listening on the Sermon on the Plain, walking with Jesus when he was in Galilee and Capernaum and Nazareth, and then walking with Jesus through Samaria and stopping with him at the well that day, right? Peter is not just by himself here. He is waiting with a community of people who were bound together by their faith in the Messiah, Jesus. Bound together and waiting together. In chapter 2, 
the story of Pentecost says that when the day of Pentecost had come, they, meaning this community of people, right? The story flows through as we've been introduced to this broader community of people. That community of people were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. It didn't just fill the chair where Peter was sitting. It didn't just come on the waiting-to-be hero. It came on the whole house, the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a, a tongue rested on each of them, not just on the one who was getting ready to talk. On the whole room, the whole gathered community finds the Spirit resting on them, driving them. And it says in verse 4 that, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one of them heard them speaking, not just heard a him speaking, heard them speaking in the native language of each, amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all of these, all of these who are speaking Galilean? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? And then we get this list, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Ferga, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. And all of them were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said they are filled with new wine. But here, notice, and I hope you see what I'm driving at here, right? This community, not just this single solitary individual that was sitting there waiting for this, but this group of people who were waiting together received the Spirit, and then they began bearing witness together. All of them together speaking about God's deeds of power. And it took all of them to say it because all of them had seen it. And so it's not just Peter getting up and telling his story of what the Messiah had done for him. It's the entire community being driven by the Spirit to give witness to Jesus. When Jesus tells his disciples in that first chapter that you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, he meant that for all of them, that they would all bear witness 
together. Even when Peter begins to speak, and he begins to speak in verse 14, it notice that he doesn't stand there alone. It says, it says that he stood with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed them all. And Peter's speech there is just him responding to the rest of what is happening in the community. You see that? It was all of them. All of them bearing witness. Peter is just in his speaking, just giving some meaning to those who don't understand, who can't process what all is happening. Peter is there and he is bearing witness as a part of the community. And when he stands up, he's not standing alone. It hadn't been that long ago that Peter himself had been confronted by a mocking crowd. By a crowd that said things like, aren't you a Galilean, one of the ones that has been following him? Remember? Did you hear that echo in the text? Here it's said as they're dumbfounded that there's other languages are coming out. But in the story of Jesus' crucifixion, they notice that Peter is somebody that sp spoke with the same accent. And Peter, there isolated and by himself, says, oh, no, no, no. Nothing to do with him, right? The story of Jesus' betrayal is a story of the disciples who were gathered there and following him and going in along with Jesus when they were confronted by the power of death, confronted by those who had the ability to kill them, they all scattered away from each other and left one by one, left alone. They ran away from Jesus. And they denied him, and they fell apart, right? It's remarkable that that group that had been scattered so thoroughly was able to be brought back together. And it's the resurrected power of Jesus that calls them back into a community, back to a community that first can sit and wait together, a community that can then begin to bear witness together. And here in this picture, man, this is a community that is standing together. They're bearing this witness. They are standing before those who don't necessarily believe yet. But they're not by themselves. They are together in this. And Peter speaks on behalf of all of them. He stands up for his brothers and sisters even, really, right? Notice that Peter doesn't get up just to justify himself. He says in verse, uh, you remember that last line, it said that they, uh, uh, they were questioning whether they were drunk or not, right? Verse 14, Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice, addressed them, men of Judea and all those who live in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these 
these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning, which is the best opening joke for a sermon ever. Okay, that's great. <laughs> oh, they're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. Come on. You're right. But notice that he's sticking up for his brothers and sisters here. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you don't understand them. He doesn't get up and say, no, 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 I'm not drunk. He gets up and says, they're not. Is he's going to speak, he's going to stand together with these others. And he goes on to tell them about how what they are witnessing in his brothers and sisters. And Peter uses what's happening with them, with the people who are around him, as the like launching point for this message. He says, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel in the last days it will be, God declares, that I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I'll show portents in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. And everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see his movement here? He starts off and he says, no, what you see among you, this together group who is bearing witness, who is giving evidence of the Spirit, who is speaking a message to you of God's deeds of power in a way that you can hear it. What they are doing is the thing that God has been planning to do for a long time. He calls upon that. He says, you want evidence of God's work among you. I'm no lone prophet speaking a word by myself. Take note of this community of 120 who are in a multitude of languages bearing witness to God's undeniable presence and work in the Messiah Jesus. Isn't that something? When I think about what our call is, about the waiting that we still have to do together and the witness that we still have to share together and the standing that we still haven't done yet together. I think about Peter, who's given this word here in this moment on behalf of the whole crowd, on behalf of the church, and what the church had to say in that moment was a word about and Peter very skillfully takes the crowd back, right? At first, the, 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 the church was speaking about God's deeds of power, but the crowd wanted to ask questions about what was going on with the people of the church. Peter takes it back from that, back to the story of God's deeds of power, both in the church and also in Jesus. In verse 22, you that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power. See how he's come back to the script there? 
with deeds of power and wonders and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know. This man handed over to you according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of those who were outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. That power that not too long ago had threatened Peter and the other disciples so that they ran away in the night from the fear of the power of those who would kill their bodies. Peter now says that in Jesus we know that that fear of death is not the most powerful force in the universe anymore. And we are driven by something else, right? By driven by the reality of this Jesus who was shown to be of God both in all the things that he did and the different healings and the things, the wonders and the signs, okay? But also by that definitive act of being raised from the dead. The definitive act of showing that what was at work in him was more powerful than death itself. Peter riffs off of David, the long-loved king of Israel, and he speaks about how even David was killed and buried and lived no more. Then he points, uses that to point towards Jesus as a son of David who is actually living longer than David ever could dream, right? Verse 29, he says, fellow Israelites, I must say to you confidently, I may say to you confidently that our ancestor David, of, of our ancestor David, that he both died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day. And since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on the throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. And then hear this word. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. Peter doesn't just say, of that, I am a witness. He says, all of us are witnesses of the living Jesus. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you see and hear. In other words, we are witnesses, and now you are witnesses. Now you see and hear, right? Those who were hearing the testimony have now been made witnesses themselves. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom he crucified. 
I love that the book of Acts begins with this announcement, this proclamation. I think one of the questions that we have to ask as a church in our day is, is not just what is it like for us to wait and bear witness and stand, but to get really specific and think about what we will say about Jesus. In those times when we are in the world, when we are in conversation with other people, when we are interacting with our friends at school, it's coming soon, when we are interacting with our, our people at work and with all the people that we interact in our neighborhoods and in our lives and our, all the different social circles and networks that we're parts of, what is it that we have to say about Jesus? Have you thought much about that? Have you thought much about what it is? Not just, I mean, it's one thing to just be like, you know, big Jesus sign, hashtag blessed, and talking generalities about what it means to be a labeled Christian in our world. Even though, man, I'll be honest, that I distrust all the things that get attached to that label in some ways. Okay? But I don't want to just ride the current of what everybody thinks about Jesus. I want to be more intentional about what it is that I have to say about Jesus. What is it that we have to say about Jesus together, right? Acts along the way is going to give us a lot of content for that question. It's going to help us become more specific about the things that we would say about Jesus. And I hope that as you study that, as we, as we read it together in worship, as we think about it in classes, I hope in your life, you know, just personal life at home as you read this thing, right? Keep asking that question. What does this have to say? What is the word about Jesus that needs to be shared? Here, the most fundamental thing that Peter leads with is this. Jesus is the Lord and the Messiah. That in his resurrection, God has shown that Jesus is the Lord and the Messiah. The Lord, meaning he is the one who is king of the cosmos. He is the supreme power. Above him, there is no other. Jesus is the king. He is the Lord. And he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who has been chosen to do God's work in the world. Okay, that's a very cliff notey version of what we might mean by Messiah. It does mean that he's the one for whom we waited, okay, in the, for the people that are hearing this word. He is the one for whom we have been waiting. But even more broadly than that, he is the one that God has chosen to be his agents in the world. He is the king. And he is the one with the mission from God. He is the Lord. And he is the Messiah. Now when they hear this, Peter's not even done with all the things that he wants to say about Jesus yet. When he says that much, okay, the people are interrupted. And they say, you got to tell us what we do to you, uh, in response to that, right? Now I got to say, 
I'm a little disappointed that at this point in my preaching career, nobody has ever interrupted me to say, hey, let's stop right there because we got to do something different right now. Okay? Sorry, preacher. Put the rest of that for next week. We got something here that is actionable, that demands something new, transformative right now. It says, when they heard this, they heard the word that Jesus is the Lord and the Messiah, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and to the other apostles, don't forget that they're all there, right? Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then here, verse 39, I know that I know that we've heard verse 38 a lot, okay? Let's keep reading what he says here. For the promise is for you. Now that's a different word than what he had said just a moment before, right? Before what he had said is, you have a share in the crucifixion of the Messiah. Some of this guilt is on you. You were the ones who crucified him. That's what he said earlier, right? And now he says to those very same people, you're not just the targets of that guilt. You are the targets of the promise of God. The promise is for you. And it's for your children and for all who are far away. Everyone whom the Lord our God will call to him. And he says, and he testified with them many other arguments and exhorted them saying, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And so those who welcomed his message were baptized. That day about 3,000 persons were added, which means that they needed an, a larger upper room. It's not really true. They needed more upper rooms, right? They need more upper rooms. About 3,000 persons were added, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Do you hear this? The word that Peter has to say that he shares with, with the people in response to their desire to know about how to react to a Lord and Messiah Jesus is he has to tell them about a promise. He looks at them and says, you may think you are outside, and indeed, maybe your deeds have made you think that, and this guilt that you bear makes you think that. But in reality, you are the people of the promise. The one of the true things that we need to be able to say about Jesus to the world around us, we confess that he is the Lord and that he is the Messiah, but we must be able to speak to every one of our neighbors and say, along with Peter here, Jesus wants every one of you. He wants every last one of you. And he's calling He's begging you to come and to be a part of this thing that he's doing with this group of people who are now being changed into some new people. I think this is a pretty good starter pack for things to say about Jesus. 
Does our neighbors and our classmates and our coworkers and our cousins and our friends, they need to know that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is the Messiah, and they need to know that Jesus wants them. And maybe you need to know that too. Maybe you need to hear and be reminded that Jesus is the Lord. Maybe you need to hear the word that Jesus is the Messiah, the one anointed with a mission in the world. Some of you, man, because of a lot of other corrupt and terrible things that people say about Jesus, some of you may need to hear the word Jesus wants you. Jesus wants every last one of you. Jesus wants you not to just set you out separate by yourself. He wants to draw you in to the people who are Standing together into the people that are bearing witness together and to the people who, by faith and in love with each other and with God, who still, we're still waiting together. Waiting together is a very, very different experience than just sitting and waiting by yourself for God knows what. Central is a community of people who are just trying to follow this story. We're just trying to figure out what it means for us in the middle of all this word about Jesus to be people who follow Jesus together. If you're here and if it's your first time or if it's your 50th time and you're standing on the edge of what it means to be a part of Jesus' work in the world, I want you to know that he wants you. I want you to know that he is the Lord. And I want you to know that he is at work in our world. He's the Messiah. And I want you to know that here in this space, in this not idealistic community, but this ragtag, weird church, I want you to know that there's a place for you here. Because not only does Jesus want you, man, we want you too. 